Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems, too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to Be Reasonable. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Today, I'm talking to my good friend, Matt D'Elia. Matt is a writer and director and actor, and he is host of the podcast. Uh, Matt D'Elia is confused. Hello, Matt. Hello, Chris. Thanks for having me. I'm honored to be guest numero uno. I think you were guest numero uno on the old show, too. Keeping it fucking... Keeping it numero uno. I'm keeping it uh, legit and yeah. and OG. So yeah, hell yeah, dude. You're the you're the OG man. And one of the reasons, besides us being friends, is that you have just about the most reasonable podcast there is. I mean, that was the idea. Yeah, I mean, just like briefly about the actual podcast. I I love podcasts and I listen to them, and I found that most of them. Two things. One, it's either just like commentary and someone's opinions that, who knows, is sort of like, I don't want to say lowbrow, but sort of like armchair critic stuff. And then there's like super me, like, for instance. Right, right, right. For, for, but also like me, you know? And it was like, there's also, though, there's this elevated conversation happening that I think a lot of people are missing out on. And there wasn't that much in the middle. So that was part of it. I wanted to create that middle ground for people that are sort of interested in intellectual things but not steeped in intellectual the intelligentsia or that culture per se so there was that but but really mainly especially i mean now i've been doing so much solo stuff because the quarantine but with the guests specifically what i wanted to do was set up a, a a i guess a space so to speak for people to come on the show who i do disagree with and who a lot of people might disagree with but to to actually 
not try to sort of corner them and make them answer for themselves in a way that, at least for my eye, I'm seeing that over and over again, people being sort of everyone trying to own everybody else. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was like, all right, I just want to hear what you have to say. I want to hear what everybody has to say. And if I can understand where you're coming from, that's sort of enough. I don't care if I agree or disagree. It's more about like just actually having the conversation and, and, and pulling out whatever's there instead of just hearing your point, shutting it down, and then just going back and forth that way. Yeah. Yeah, right, man. I think it's um, been really cool, you know, listening to your show to see that you are giving people who are saying, you know, what we might consider preposterous things, you're giving them the space to say those things and trying to understand where they might be coming from rather than seeing your role as like, oh, you said something bad or you said something weird or crazy, like, let me shut that down. I mean, you have discussed sexually transmitted demons on your show. Yeah, I mean, that's that's one of maybe my favorite guest, the exorcist Bob Larson. And he, I mean, here's the thing. Like, when someone like that comes on, the first thing I do is I tell them, I don't agree with anything that you have to say that I've heard so far. Mm-hmm. However, that A, doesn't mean I'm going to try to corner you and get you to say something stupid, but B... I actually am not going to present any antagonism. What I'm interested in is getting underneath why you think the way you think, what you think. Mm -hmm. And if there are problems, someone listening can hear them on their own. They don't need me to to hear me, quote unquote, owning anybody. If someone's going to be, quote, dumb or wrong even, they're going to sound that way on their own. And I don't think you need necessarily someone to be on the other end ready to fucking hit him over the head with some fucking zinger. You know what I mean? I'd rather just hear people talk the way that they think, have someone be at least pulling it out or the conversation's going somewhere. Because I think what happens is when you're being hyper-combative in a conversation, it can be fun to listen to if you agree with the one side in particular, but I think it gets tiresome. And right now, there's just so much of that shit. You know, I mean, you look at, I mean, I don't know why he comes to mind, but someone like Jordan Peterson or fucking someone better than that, someone like Sam Harris, where you watch, even if you just like look them up on Google, it's like Sam Harris owns so-and-so and and, and like fucking whoever. uh, And and it's, it's, and then you watch the clip and A, it's not really that, first of all, but B, like the whole idea of owning someone it, it kind of means nothing because when you do that, you're not going to gain – you're not going to get anybody on your side. Mm-hmm. All you're going to do is get people who already agree with you to stand up and cheer. And that only pushes the other side further away. So yes. it's less about like really what you're saying and more about like let's all just – let's hear it all. And once it's all out there, what's absurd will seem absurd. What's not absurd will seem not absurd. And then I think, you know, to use your word, reason reason can come out of that. Right. So that makes me that makes me think of this. And I, I want to talk about this because I think this has a lot of relevance to what I'm trying to do as well. And, um, you know, what you were saying implies a certain respect for your audience, like that they can listen to something and understand what it is for them do their own parsing of whether something's factual or rational and and that will actually trigger something in their mind because the thing that is one of the things that made me start this show and conceive of this show in this way is that I feel like we're often given the conclusion by a headline or by a purveyor of opinion and then 
you know, the expectation is that we're actually going to listen to or read the the content and maybe in that content we will reach the same conclusion that's presented at the beginning. But often the content is better at showing both sides, whereas the headline or the, you know, the, the title of the video clip or whatever it is has the opinion it's, it's expecting to produce in you. And I think that that's like getting people's thought process exactly backwards and Mm -hmm. and i think that as much as anything is doing a really uh is doing a real disservice to the conversation in general yeah i mean i find it i think the obvious place that it happens is like in the news or anything that can be politicized Uh but it also trickles down into the arts and art criticism film criticism yes even just fucking like any kind of like regular old tv blog or something the whole thing is about sort of framing it in a way that it's tell it's 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 just a it's it's it, you're just trying to name the group up front and if you fit in that group you're going to click on it right. and i think that that's a little bit it makes sense because in the in 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 any arena where the business is sort of enhanced by clicks to get clicks you want to get the people it's like who's your bread and butter audience you know if you're talking about fox news you know who your bread and butter audience is if you're talking about msnbc you right. know who your bread and butter audience is and the headlines on those pages regardless of the content in the articles which are generally kind of similar unless it's an, an editorial mm-hmm. the actual substance of the news on any news site is going to be pretty similar but the headlines yes you might as well be in a different fucking country you know and and it's going to tell you the thing that they want you to think that they think yeah. so that you click on it because they think you already agree. Mm-hmm. And it's just this weird, the further it edges one way further and further and further until it's just two opposite sides of the spectrum. Yep. And it's hard to even really wrap your head around what that even really is. You yeah. Know? So that's, that's one of the, the key things for me in this project is like, you know, we get to, the extremes are both so loud and we get to hear both of the extremes and we are convinced by the extremes that we're convinced by one extreme that the other side has nothing to say and vice versa and the problem is that I don't think that either side actually understands what the other side is saying at all you know and so for like right now as an example the coronavirus stuff on one side you have um the people who have spent the last few weeks saying that this is all a hoax and that it's being highlighted to diminish trump's chances in 2020 Mm. and all that stuff that's an extreme right Mm. and the other extreme of course is the people who um think that we need to close the whole society for 12 months and that you know this lockdown thing is a sustainable way to move forward and that any variation from the most extreme lockdown situation is you know not just an improper following of the guidelines from the CDC or from our political leaders or whatever else but that the people who actually are going out and doing something may as well be mass murderers and mm-hmm. that seems utterly insane to me as well yeah i mean the, the, again though again it actually makes me think of the fucking the thing this the, if you listen at least today if you were to listen to what let's just say trump and 
Eric Garcetti are saying. Uh-huh. They're, they're basically saying the same thing as ter- in terms of what they advise. Uh-huh. They're saying, we know you will all have to stay home as much as you possibly can, and most businesses will be shut down, non-essential businesses will be shut down through all of April. That's what they're both saying right now. That wasn't right. the case a few days ago, but sure. it is what they're saying now. But you still have, on, in terms of the politics of it, the people on the right saying it's all a hoax. They're just trying to take Trump down, even though Trump is saying, actually, we do need to continue this all the way through April. And then you have the people on the other end saying, oh, no, it's going to have to be shut down the whole rest of the year. This can't be politicized. This isn't just about the economy. We need to keep our people alive and we need to stay home through the summer. And it's like. Actually, if you listen to the people who should know best, Mm -hmm. whether they do or not is is debatable, but these people as authority figures should know best. And ostensibly they do, and they're kind of saying the same broad thing. But uh, when you listen to the punditry at least, it's so fucking far yeah. to the to one side or the other, and it really in that when you start to look at that, how far the pundits end up taking it, or the commentariat, whatever, even the armchair commentariat, you get to it's just really all it really is is a glimpse into what those people want to be true. Yes, and I think the biggest problem with any of this is that we're dealing with people who have a platform and are more interested in seeing. What they want to be true as true than what is actually true as true. And that is a bigger problem than really anything. Yes. It doesn't fucking matter what you want to be true. I, don't, I want a lot of things to be true. I, I usually don't have a problem admitting that the things that I want to be true are not true. Sure. I don't know why that's become such a thing, though. You know? Yeah, man. I mean, you know, I think we, you and I might have discussed this before, too. But it seems like everyone is now encouraged to choose their team and then identify parts of their personality with that team and then they understand the information and opinions through the filter of that team you know so it's like anything that disagrees with you is not only disagreeing with the things that you say or the way you might interpret a situation but it's actually an attack on your identity to disagree with you because you see yeah. yourself as you know right now some of the you know we're dealing with this in LA because we're you know in terms of the country we're on one of the more I don't want to call it extreme because it's not like we're actually locked in our houses or anything, but mm-hmm. we have one of the more extreme um, lockdown situations, mm-hmm. quote unquote, in the country. Um, and people are really up in arms about anyone who is trying to maintain any semblance of a normal life, including even just, you know, going outside to work out. I mean, people mm-hmm. people have uh, frightened themselves to the point of, I mean, I see it and feel it like that they believe someone crossing their path within six feet of them is like potentially destroying the whole barrier that's saving us from the virus. And it's like, okay, well, I get this, this, this six foot bubble thing, right? Mm-hmm. But that's for if I might be coughing and sneezing on you or like sure, that my yeah. sweat is just projectile into your eyeballs like that's not exactly what it is yeah i mean i think that uh each side of the argument is emboldened by their opposition and then the arguments and lines of thinking get all wonky and out of any sense of order because 
really, it's neither one of the extremes. Uh-huh. And if you are using your brain, if look, if you all, if all you did is every day check the CDC or, or WHO website just to see what you should be doing. Uh-huh. It would be pretty fucking clear, and you would really not have to panic, you know? Right. Because it, 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 there would be no sort of salacious, crazy fucking bullshit. Certainly there would be no bullshit on there. It's just like bullet points. Wash your hands like this. Stay in as much as you can. If you have to go out, do it like this. There's nothing extravagant on there, but people get so wrapped up in the whole thing. And I, I, really, I really do think the picking teams and the politicization of it makes people slide further to the other extreme Mm -hmm. as if we have to be pitted we have to be on this team and if we don't think this way then we're actually not on this team and and i will even go further just to personally i consider myself firmly established i think of myself as someone on the left politically speaking and i will say that even with me when i'm talking on the podcast certainly on solo episodes it, it doesn't necessarily change the way I talk, but my mind will, as ideas are coming up, filter through and at the very least flag some that I'm like, well, people on my, my, my quote, team m- might not like this, you know? So it's mm-hmm. like, it's a very, it's a very, um, I think it's oppressive, the ideologies of each side. And if and it, it, each side is telling you, if you don't get in line then you are not really on our team. And so the whole team idea is where the flaw lies, you know, not with the wavering ideology or the non-ideology, which is what people really should have, you know. Okay, so yeah, um, the lead-in to this is going to be this thing that I wrote, um, or I might put it in a separate episode. But either way, the point is uh, actually... um, I want to linger on the word um, oppressive for a second because... I like I'm not going to pretend that I'm an oppressed person. I certainly am not. Um, But uh, one kind of oppression that I think goes unnoticed is is the the weighing down of the freedom of thought in the current environment. It's like, wait a second, can I even have this contrarian thought? Like, am I allowed to put this thought into the world without somebody freaking out? I mean, if Mm -hmm. if I were to say, for instance, that like. Yes, it's a little discouraging to see tons of New Yorkers out taking photos of the medical ship that just arrived in the harbor. I don't know if you've seen those pictures on Twitter today, but there's like people flooding the streets and taking pictures and walking their dogs. Really? And else. No, I didn't see that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you know, those people could be more helpful and more responsible. But do I think that just their close proximity to each other is like going to create a new spread of the virus? No, man. I mean, people are generally, you know, let's say this even, uh, I mean, it's transmissible virtually the same ways that a cold is, right? From from what we can see and what we can hear, and I was just on the Johns Hopkins, like, fact sheet website earlier, and, you know... They understand that the main uh, vehicle of transmission is droplets, like whether they're Mm -hmm. saliva, I'm not sure about sweat. They think it can be uh, transmitted by other bodily fluids, but they're not sure. But it's it's mostly like if you sneeze in my eye, maybe I'm fucked. Mm -hmm. But then again, I'm only fucked if you have it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. 
So, like, you can't... It's not like... <laughs> you can get it from the proverbial toilet seat, although maybe you actually can get this from a toilet seat. I think but, you actually can, yeah. Yeah, you probably can. But you can't get it from being near somebody who doesn't have it. That's my point, you know? Yeah. And well, the I idea that, that we assume yeah. that everybody is is a, a carrier of disease seems, I don't know, there's something really like kind of dark and freaky about that. Yeah, I think, though, I, I, I think that the fact that there's such a lo- potentially long incubation period, which is something yes. that has heavily been printed quite a bit about this, has people legitimately freaked out about it. Because, yeah. I mean, you walk around any town or city, I'm sure, if you're even uh, clearing your throat, someone will look at you like you just yelled out some yeah. kind of racial slur or something. <laughs> like, like you actually committed a genuine social sin or just fucking moral sin, really. You know what I mean? Uh, but but I, I think that it's that and the fact that it's so highly contagious yes. that if... Here's what it is. When, when I'm sitting home because I know that I can, meaning... I have the food I need. Everyone I care about is okay. I can just sit here and stay here and, and, I, and I'm okay with money, whatever. If I check all those boxes and I'm sitting at home obeying the thing and, and I'm seeing somebody that's not doing that, I don't care if they're even six feet away. I don't care if they know they're healthy. It's this kind of thing of like, and I'll, just to play devil's advocate, it's like, why the fuck can't you stay home? Yes. I'm with you there. Like, I'm totally with you there. Yeah, no, I know. But, 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 it's this it, it it there is this element of like you motherfuckers let's just get this over with yeah yeah, yeah. you don't need a picture of a, of a hospital boat yes. do you know what i mean yes uh not but, but aside from the morbidity alone it's like there's an element of like if we're all in this together can't you be bored for a little while yes you know yeah man and i mean it's it's funny because you know, we don't picture ourselves going through normal life as being part of history. You know what I mean? Like, mm. we're just alive right now. History exists in a book and maybe some old films, mm. but it doesn't exist in reality. Like, we are just here. You know, unless you're um, old enough to have been, you know, cognizant of your surroundings at the end of yeah. World War II, I mean, yeah. we've had, uh, we've had, Kennedy, we've had Nixon, we've had Vietnam, we've had maybe the Challenger, we've had 9-11. Like, there have been some some incidents over the la- over over our parents' lifetimes, at least, um, yeah. that have been major markers for our national experience, right? Um, yeah. But our age, I mean, I'm 41, you're what, 36? 37? Yeah. Okay. 36. Um, we haven't, besides 9-11... We really haven't had one of those. I mean, I remember watching the Challenger blow up in art class in elementary school when I was in maybe mm-hmm. like second grade or something. But uh, I don't. I didn't was, even get that. I, yeah, I yeah, totally yeah, exactly. was not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think it was eighty six, and uh, you know, I do vividly remember um, the morning of nine eleven and watching the second plane crash into the second tower yeah. um and so that that marker is clearly in my head and i think that that's actually a seminal moment for the political life of a lot of um younger people you know like uh kind of the later millennials early gen mm-hmm. z maybe no no i guess not early yeah and early gen z i mean how old are they 24 25 at this point so they were at least little kids when that happened they were little kids yeah, yeah. um 
but this is the first moment I think where the nation has actually had a real incentive to pull together and I'm not sure we're doing it. I mean, even, mm. you know, as much as you can say that it's only the 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 far right kind of, you know, denier slash hoax people that are breaking this stuff. You know, it's easy to say that when it's a Florida beach or when it's, you know, people in the south or something where we assume like, oh, red states, well, they don't know anything. It's not that. You know what I mean? It's. When you see packed blocks in New York City so that they can Instagram a uh, a medical relief like hospital ship, you know, the the image that it's just like some rednecks in Florida or some some dumb college kids on spring break, you know, it's not. Yeah. I mean, you definitely see the version you want to see for sure. Mm-hmm. And I think that people are the, – the, the bottom line is just that people tend to – to do whatever they want. And I think because this has been politicized, the idea of who's going out there and not giving a fuck and just living their life as usual, the idea of it in the public consciousness is like, oh, well, that's people who watch Fox News, that's Republicans, that's boomers, that's right. fucking uh, millennial, whatever it is, you know? And then I think the, on the other side of, of the coin, it's like, you know, uh, people are who are who are told that they're panicking by staying home and like actually following the advisory and all that shit, which is like, it's not necessarily panic. It's just right. a fucking choice. Yeah. yeah, you know yeah. What I mean? like, yeah you're and, trying and, to be responsible. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I think that the, the wedge <clears throat> just ends up being driven further and further. I, I, all, I, I do though think that the divide of what people, let's just, let's say not left and right, let's say in, urban areas and rural areas. Yes. I think that, that there's two parts of that, which is that if you look at like how much people have, have stopped moving around in cities mm-hmm. on average, it, it's pretty fucking far and wide. Like people in New York in general, people in LA in general, yeah. Chicago in general, have actually really fucking slowed down and are not leaving their house very much. And if you look at rural areas, they haven't really done shit. Now, that, that hold on that that is I think you're gonna that, say that can be that can be politicized for mm-hmm, sure mm-hmm. and and maybe that is political in terms of ideology what's making people do what predominantly but also there's way more fucking space and way less people in rural areas so if you're in the fucking in, in the middle of Nebraska and you're like still going out and moving around generally who gives the fuck because you're not going to give COVID to anybody, assuming you could even possibly get it. Right. If you're in New York or L.A. and you're fucking on a cramped subway or, 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 or in a restaurant, you might be considered a fucking asshole. And yeah. I would actually consider you an asshole. Yeah. If you're going to go to a beach and do a party for spring break, I don't think those people have any political ideology. I think they're just fucking idiots. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think that gets left out of this entirely. This is not even just a political thing. This is just are you, sometimes if you're a fucking idiot, are you an idiot? Then then you're probably going to do the wrong thing, regardless of political ideology. And you can't even cre- credit a political ideology to most people because most people aren't political. You know what I mean? Totally. Um, you yeah. know, I'm from a town of uh, 500 people in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And 
I, you know, I'm glad that my parents are safe at home. And when you're in a remote yeah. place, you're kind of used to hanging out at your house a lot by yourself. So, yeah. you know, and they're retired. So it's not like it's a huge change in lifestyle for them. Um, but, well, that's not true. My dad, like, still works you know, here and there, he like takes on projects right. and that kind of thing. So this isn't disruption of that, but, um, right. you know, I don't think that everybody there, like people who are building houses, like there's actual construction that goes on by hand there, you know, like mm-hmm. I used to do that before I moved out here, I was working on framing houses and scraping paint off 200 year old walls because my friend mm-hmm. did old home restoration. Like, mm-hmm. There is not a reason for that to stop, you know. And so Mm. when I hear um, people in Los Angeles and in New York saying like uh, being for a nationwide lockdown, I think Mm. like, first of all, like that's fucking insane. And also that just that has this kind of like nanny state mindset where because you live in an environment where this policy makes sense. Now you want to export that to every place else in the country, whether or not it makes sense, just because you have completely gone hook, line and sinker on the idea that anyone who is not um, in the same level of panic or in the same situation as you, you know, must still uh, abide by the stringent guidelines that have been imposed by our government or that have been self-imposed by you and your friends. I mean, that part, that part does begin to bother me. I mean, I think that there's uh, a bit of a libertarian streak that is, is being really um, maligned right now without reason. I mean, it happens that the less densely populated areas are red areas. That doesn't mean that everyone in those red areas who is not yet locked down is somehow uh, a coronavirus denier or some insane Trump supporter. Like they just have an entirely different lifestyle where mitigation of risk is just looks smaller. Yeah, I mean, I think that. First of all, I would say that the people who really, really want a national lockdown, this is not going to ever happen. Right. First of all. So I think that that should be the first part. I think that people in L.A. screaming about what people in fucking rural areas are doing should probably just try to get involved in politics in L.A. You know what I mean? Because I think that one of the biggest one of the biggest I think issues right now with the news is that they make everything seem like a pressing national issue. A hundred percent. And, and almost nothing is a, is a pressing national issue. Uh, I mean, there are parts of the coronavirus pandemic that are supremely national issues and that they're, they're being dealt with either well or not well. And Mm -hmm. then we can totally get into that. But I think in general, CNN, Fox, MSNBC, they've turned, through the lens of like the culture war type things, mm-hmm. they've made everything seem like it's a pressing national emergency right. when really nothing is. And if it matters to you that people stay home and you're in L.A., and that is a fucking legitimate gripe, have that gripe. And but but ma- it matters to you where you are, right? You know, yeah. And and not only does it not really matter what someone in fucking Nebraska is doing if you're in L.A. or New York or Chicago, it also. There's nothing you could ever do about it anyway besides moan about it in a public space and no one wants to hear about that shit anyway. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm uh, you know, 
I think it was 2008 when Obama was first elected that the um, that I think it was Prop 8, the gay marriage bill in California. And, you know, one of the reasons that that bill failed is because there was a lot of um, out of state funding to try to get people to vote against it in certain religious communities. Mm -hmm. And I don't like that. I don't want out-of-state yeah, politics right, yeah, to totally, affect yeah. California politics. Um, and, you know, anybody who cares even the slightest bit about federalism would understand why that is. I mean, the reverse is also true. I don't like when, uh, you know, celebrities and stuff are encouraging people to donate to political campaigns in Georgia or Ohio or Texas. Like, I don't want people in L.A. supporting uh, Beto O'Rourke's run for Senate in Texas because it's not your business. You know, mm. like the idea is that all that that views from around the country get represented in their complexity. And that's mm. why the system is set up as it is. And it bothers yeah. the hell out of me that we think because we have this, you know, call it woke or whatever. And I'm sure that, you know, it's just the same in red states. I'm not saying that this is just a left side issue. I mean, Republicans try to uh, take out and create national issues out of voting against Democrats all over the place. Yeah, um, for sure. But I don't like it. Like, we should not be involving ourselves in other state issues. It's automatically bad that these issues get nationalized. I mean, the idea that we want to empower a federal government to have the say of which businesses to shut down in which cities, it's funny to me because these people... And this is a thing that's mostly on the left because they're asking for for national um, constraints on this stuff. Who runs the national government? The guy that you I was hate just say, the most. Yeah. yeah, I actually haven't heard that that specific strain that much. I haven't heard much of a call from the left to shut it down entirely. That 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 is like. Who are you trying to hand the keys to? Yeah, like you've been spending this, his entire term trying to make sure he gets the least amount of power possible. Right. Which fair, fuck it, a hey, whatever. That's what you want. Do that. I hate him too. But to tr- the argument to let the national to the federal government shut every fucking state down in the way that they want with a fucking vindictive punishing president in there in the first place. Why would you want that? The guy that's going to be in charge of that probably hates your state. You know what I mean? Because you're a blue state. Yeah. And he'll make that clear. He says it outright even now. He talks shit about fucking Andrew Cuomo. Like, when his states, like, actually should probably be on fucking lockdown, if any mm-hmm. state should. And it's like, uh, you gotta... It's weird to say the whole country needs to be shut down and not see far enough into, well, actually, the guy in charge of the country is the number one guy I hate the most. Like, yeah. you would think that... It would go like oil and water and it would be as visible as oil and water and you wouldn't even start the first part. But, you know, it's, I mean, yeah. people are really fucking scared right now. So I tend to get why they're so fucking hectic and people are saying crazy shit. The problem is, is that people saying crazy shit 
makes other people say crazier shit to make yes. you less loud. And then everybody's saying crazy shit. And the real problem with that is that reasonable people or people who would otherwise be reasonable yeah. have nowhere to go for the right information. You know. Well, and the problem is, too, like whenever you put up even the mildest defense of the other side's behavior, then all of a sudden you are um, complicit in, in the terrible thing that they're doing. And by the way, I'm not saying what they're doing is a terrible thing. It's just so easy to identify the enemy class and then decide that whatever they're doing is terrible. And that yeah. is so disturbing to me. And I don't know why it doesn't disturb other people. Like, I don't see a productive end to this. You know, no one is trying to it, – it's one thing to hate Trump. You know, I am uh, – I try to be as realistic about Trump as I can. I think that there are very few but very certain benefits – that come along with his presidency and then I think the rest is kind of an abomination. You know, I don't like what he represents in our culture, um, but I see him more as a symptom of that. Where I really have a problem is when any defense of what he's doing or any pushback to what the other side is doing makes you somehow complicit in his worst things. Like I can say, for instance, that, uh, you know, when Trump tries to shut down uh, travel from China, right? Mm -hmm. Travel from China is clearly the number one cause of the pandemic. The thing started in China. The places that are in the worst shape are like northern Italy, where they have a where over the past decade or so they've had a massive influx of uh, of Chinese people coming into the textile trade there. And is that what it is? I actually yes. didn't know. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna Got have it. my buddy Matt Belinsky on, and he has been like a fiend on uh, discovering all this stuff, and it's actually pretty amazing and pretty alarming what's going on but there's a reason that that location is such a hot spot mm. and it's because of the just totally unchecked travel between and this is not in any way blaming it on chinese people right like yeah, of course. If, yeah, yeah. like there's no there's no personal responsibility there for the people because even if they felt a little sick on day 1 or day 2 if yeah, I feel like if I know? had coronavirus, yeah, I'd yeah, be like, yeah, oh, yeah. I feel like I have a cold, but yeah. like, I guess I'll yeah. struggle through this flight and then I'll recover in my destination. That's a totally normal human thing to think. Like, there's no morality attached to that. Like, people don't None. know they have a virus and they carry it to someplace else without knowing. And then they yeah. happen to be the cause of the problem. Like, the morality doesn't shift back onto them. You know what I mean? Like, that's totally understandable stuff. This is not about the Chinese. But saying that. So Trump's Trump's anti-globalist or anti-internationalist, whatever you want to call it, that view might have provided us some benefit at that point. And during that time, we had the other side not trying to see maybe any possible benefit of what he was doing, but instead saying that that policy was racist. And I mean, mm. how do these people then turn around a month or two later and then, you know, say that he did nothing in preparation. And by the way, I'm not claiming that his preparation was good, not in any way. But to say that he took zero steps is also just radically false while you were one of the people who was complaining about that step that he took. You know, that yeah. was a step toward mitigation. 
and you can give me the litany of things that he didn't do, and there certainly is a valid litany of things that he didn't do, but he did do that. And so if we're going to say that that was Trump being racist, it's like, well, no, that's Trump filtering mitigation through his series of beliefs, which, like it or not, is the role of the president. Yeah, I mean, I think in this case and cases like this uh, with in regards to Trump and particularly issues of identity like race, sure. gender, anything like that, uh, I think bad faith bre- really breeds bad faith. And so, you know, as someone uh, on the left surrounded mostly by like-minded people on the left, uh, most of whom I would say sort of subscribe vertically to, to the left and, mm-hmm. every, and, and the tenets, I think that the blindly bad faith sort of passed down argument of he's a racist, yes, which is rooted in a real thing. Yes, say you could argue that he's a racist, and you could make a real argument for that. But to make the argument for that with the bad faith version, yeah. which is that he's shutting down travel from a, of a hot spot of a deadly virus, that's the bad faith version because you're not you're not allowing yourself to see anything but the mile markers on the road along to the fucking case you're going to make, you know? And I think that the, that sort of, to, to take that as an example of, of what's happening now, but to peel that back certainly over the last three years and really longer, you can go sort of tick-tock, tick-tock back and forth and see where the bad faith sort of subscriptions line up mm-hmm. on the left and the right, and one as a response to the other, and like a metronome, it just keeps going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, to the point where you get to this thing where he can do anything, and the worst possible version of it will be seen by the other side. And it's true of the left as well. I mean, mm-hmm. the left can do anything, and a certain person on the right will just say, well, they're just going to be socialists and trying to give money away. Sure. Like, they'll look at Andrew Yang and be like, you're a socialist. And it's like, the dude is not even a remotely a socialist, right. but because he wants to give some money to people every month, therefore he's fucking Vladimir Lenin. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't really have. I, I can't come down on either side with the universal basic income. I think it's um, interesting, at least, and it might be in the future a necessity. But that's that's not. That doesn't lead me to say that Andrew Yang is a socialist. He is a guy who's obviously a very intelligent and successful guy and seems like a hell of a good guy. And he's trying yeah. to figure out a solution to a problem. Yeah. And now that might not be a solution we all d- agree on and decide to move forward with. But he's not a bad guy for thinking. it. Yeah. Yeah. And he's also just – I mean he's a good example of this actually because whether you like him or not, I love him. But even if you, even if you don't like him, one have to say – He's not – well, first of all, he's not a party person. He doesn't really yep. give a shit what one party thinks or the other thinks, which is absolutely necessary now because the intransigence on both sides is just mm-hmm. – it's going to have to break at some point. And he's sort of a, an early sign of that, which I think is great. But he's a good example of the kind of mind who is trying to get nuanced about yes. every issue and trying to dissolve – that staunch ideology on both one side and the other, you know, I mean, his whole thing about what got, it's kind of like what you said earlier. It's like Donald Trump not being the cause, but the symptom, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, and, 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 and to get, to change 
to change anything, you have to get at the actual cause. And the yeah. cause is not Donald Trump. And the more you're talking about him, the more likely it is that he's going to win again. Yeah, man. Okay, so yeah, I mean, one of the things that I'm really trying to think a lot about, and you know, I have my opinions on it and have had them for a few years, but I want to know what the original cause is, you know, and I think that the original cause of someone like Donald Trump is the division. And, you know, I don't, I want to look at both sides always, you know, I want to figure out, like, it's easy to say Donald Trump is terrible, Mm -hmm. okay, and then for one side, it's so easy to take every story that the media tells about how bad Donald Trump is and just take it hook, line, and sinker and believe it. But I also believe that they are part of the problem. And now I'm not talking about just reporters, reporters who are out and about, reporters who are in other countries, reporting to us from war zones, giving us facts on the ground. I honor all that stuff. What I don't honor is all the people, the talking heads on TV, um, the editorial board of a place like the New York Times, where they obviously have an agenda and they hold themselves up now as our heroes and they believe that it's their solemn duty to protect and save us from Donald Trump. And I find that really patronizing, first of all. And I also think that they're just wrong. I mean, the the notion that we should somehow um, be thankful that they will occasionally lie to us in service of saving us from Donald Trump or in service from saving us from the coronavirus, that shit really bothers me. You know, like not ev- – and again, this is just the same as you respecting your audience enough to let them figure things out for themselves. Mm-hmm. Like what happened to the objectivity? I don't need to be given a series of facts and the opinion I'm supposed to have. I think that that honestly – the more – because I think about this a lot too. I think a lot of that actually is a trickle-down effect from the – because the news used to not you, the news on every network on every Are you TV station. From your mic, I'm sorry. Oh, am I? Is that better? I don't know. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. Sorry. I was, no, I was going to say the, the 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 news used to always take a loss, no matter right. what network it was on, right? Right. And then at a certain point, or in the 70s, things started to change, and it became uh, a ratings issue. And now mm-hmm. networks wanted the news to get good ratings as well, and things started to change. And I think what we're and, and news became more salacious, more headline driven, more fear driven, and then I think the result of this is the division of the two sides, and there being two teams, and there's a real tribalism that this is churning money out of. And I think that now, when you watch an objective news station, and it seems to someone that's been watching other news, maybe boring or or slow or I mean, right. we would use words like objective, but I think a lot of people would be like, I don't watch this because it's boring because there's no commentary because it's not sure. exciting, which is the ultimate fucking problem, really. Like, the whole news isn't supposed to be exciting. You're not supposed right. to have an opinion. But I do think the hyper-opinionated, editorialized way news is now is a, is a, is a trickle-down result of news needing to make money yes. instead of just needing to present the news. Well, yeah, and I mean, especially now with social media and stuff, and we know that the business model is outrage. There's nothing that generates more clicks and shares than outrage. Right. And yeah. so what we have then is every story filtered through the agenda 
and then present it in a way that is meant to make us as angry as possible. I mean, Donald Trump is an avatar of outrage. And of course... We end up choosing someone like that as president. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I don't think that we see eye to eye on Bernie necessarily, but I view Bernie as an avatar of outrage as well. Mm-hmm. And it's from a different perspective. But I don't like seeing anything demagogued like it makes it's it's like asking for the least thoughtful people in our society to wear these received opinions as badges of honor and identification so that they can group themselves with other people who they aspire to be like in some way. And that's just disturbing to me. Yeah. I, I, just thinking about trickle-down reasons for all this stuff, I do think also that one of the reasons for this is just there's less of... Uh, I mean, I don't, I'm not one of those people at all who's like, things were better before now. I generally think uh-huh. that now is always the best time. Uh, especially yes. in the in the cumulative sense, like total now, whatever now is is the best. Like now is better than even when I started saying this in in mm-hmm. theory, you know. But I think there was kind of the there Steven is, Pinker, right, right, exactly, yeah. yeah. Which he, he gets into trouble for in a lot of circles. But sure. there's something very in an elementary way, just flatly true about his whole thesis in an external way. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so I'm just. Th- but what sorry, I what I would ahead. say is that I think that a lot of this is is sort of classic ideas of community and groups have been mm-hmm. uh, um, shattered, I guess, really. Yeah. And everything's sort of fragmented and very much online now. And I think the the assembly of one's identity came so much from community and group that that's sort of gone away. And in its place, the vacu- in the vacuum has been born this sort of... You remember when Twilight came out? And everyone was like, I'm Team Edward. I'm Team whatever. And like there was a whole thing wrapped around that. Mm -hmm. And that is still – it like was tapping into a thing though. And I think that's why it caught like wildfire because now people will be like, I'm Team Bernie. I'm Team Trump. I'm Team whatever. You're Team something. Just another way Twilight ruined the world. But like – but that's (laughs) – but it's 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 very much rooted in this like identity. It makes people feel better to have a group – that they feel at home with. And I really think the po- the political version of this has been so greatly worsened uh, or, or shown its ugly side because of the fragmenting of this sort of identity that we used to have, that we're trying mm-hmm. to fill now. And we're just throwing ourselves on these fucking political identities, which really are, as you say, Oftentimes, just fucking demagogues. I mean, certainly Trump and yeah. Bernie. As much as I do disagree with you about Bernie, I don't disagree but with you about Bernie in that sense. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um. Yeah, man. I, so the the internal external thing that I was talking about with Pinker, you know, like the external factors. Obviously, we live in more material comfort. Um, you know, more people are being brought out of poverty, uh, etc. Whatever technology, blah. Uh, but internally, like what we think about each other, what we think about our place in the world, our um, the confidence in our own mind and our own views of the world. Like I feel like everyone needs to have these teammates and needs to impress people that not only do they not know, but that they'll never meet. Mm-hmm. And that shit is so weird to me. Like, I mean, you know. Could I monetize it if I had a million more followers on Twitter or Instagram? 
Yes, but that's not my goal. Mm -hmm. My goal is not to like make strangers like me. Mm -hmm. That stuff is so disturbing to me. You know, like just be yourself. And if people like you, cool. And if they don't like you, that's fine too. But I also don't want to be scolded by strangers either. Yeah, and I yeah. actually don't want to be scolded by my friends either. Like, uh, you know, I was uh, in a minor argument with friends of mine over text the other day because I went out running at a reservoir where there was no one around me. Mm-hmm. You know, like, how could you be out in public? We're on lockdown. I'm like, what are you Whoa. talking about? First of all, the lockdown includes going outside yeah, to walk yeah. your dog or going outside for a walk or exercise. Yeah. Like, I'm not even breaking the no, lockdown no, by the letter all. of the law, yeah. much less the spirit of it. Right. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and, and it's like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Like, first off... I'm going to be responsible for my own mind and my own actions. And if you don't like me now or you don't like my actions that much, you can tell me and we can discuss it and maybe we come to an understanding. Or you also have the option to not like me anymore. But yeah. you don't have the option to scold me because I'm a fucking, yeah. you know, a in, relatively informed, relatively rational adult who's perfectly capable of discerning the morality of my own situations. And if you happen not to agree with me, we can go our separate ways yeah you know like i prefer that yeah i prefer that to the to the to the scolding like <laughs> how could you do that like all the people who do this are idiots like do you really want to be associated with them like wow well, yeah i guess so yeah i would like honestly rather be associated with dumb people than with with nags and scolds yes yeah that's rough that's rough that's no good i mean what you were saying before that though about uh sort of the 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 uh, this idea of groups it, we're so hardwired to hate each other. Uh, yeah. In terms of, I think about like, I grew. I'm from New Jersey. I know you're from back east too. In my parents and certainly their parents' generation, there was this thick memory of of the Irish and the Italians hating each other. Yes. Uh huh. And and that's only like, I mean, fifty to a hundred years ago. And mm-hmm. now, anyone in America who's Italian and Irish, you're fucking white. You know, but the, yeah. but that that hating each other. Neither of us were back then, right? Yeah, and exactly, we, none of us were. Even those two groups yeah. weren't white yet. Uh, Jews, not yeah. white. And and now we're all just fucking white people. But yes. I think that the the part, and that was happening everywhere. That's not unique to, to sure, sure, Europeans sure. or anybody. Everybody fucking has groups that they've been forced to be close to all of a sudden. That they now decided they hate, and they're competing with each other, going back and forth, sort of trying to get a leg up. Often fights break out, certainly disputes all the time, until finally, everybody's just everybody, and they got a whole new subgroup to fucking worry about. Right. You know, right. now it doesn't matter if you're a fucking Italian or Irish; it matters much more if you're a fucking Democrat or Republican, or whatever the fuck. But, but I think what I'm getting at, what I'm getting at, is that I think that there's this deep. It's not desire. It's just this deep knee-jerk need way that we are that that we're gonna fucking want to be on a side and 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 be in combat with the other side. You know, war mm. is so fetishized for a reason. That's not just like because that's a thing that used to happen. You know, uh, it's 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 a fetishized thing historically, but also still. And 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 there's a reason for that. There's the adversarial thing that people really want to fucking do and they feel safe yeah. doing it within the within the confines of po- the political aspect. Uh, what do you tell me what you think about this? I mean, I know you read uh Wellebeck as well, but um 
you know, the the idea of atomization and um, a, a lack of meaning in the modern world. I mean, people uh, going off of what you just said, I mean, everybody wants to believe right now that they are in like the civil rights era. Mm-hmm. You know, that they have this really morally justified struggle that they're willing to give anything for. And they're picking <laughs> they're picking totally insignificant moral struggles. You know, it's the like, do we have so little to um, to build ourselves up with, to identify with as people that we need to choose like that our new cause like right now, the, the cause of people to like outwardly express brutal anger towards people that are going outside. Mm-hmm. That seems fucking insane to me. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I... I, I By the way, I'm not saying they don't have a justification to be mad at those people. Yeah, right. I'm saying, like, you know what? Keep that inside and just chill out. Yeah, I mean, I I think that the panic... The panic across the board is the thing that's making people... Because I think, I think truthfully, even people who aren't worried about the the uh, virus, getting the virus, because there's two kinds of panic. There's the kind of panic that if you're if you're cooped up inside because you're afraid of the virus, and then there's the kind of panic that you don't want to be cooped up inside because you need to fucking make money, right? Yeah. And it depends yeah. on what you value. Some people actually are making that that it's an actual split one or two. Some people it's that cut and dried. A lot of people it's way more gray than that. But there's two sides of that spectrum, and you can be anywhere on that spectrum. And I think the panic is actually there on both sides. It's just manifesting in this weird fucking way. Though it's sure. like it's scoldy from the left to the right, and on the right, it's like a fucking hand wave. It's 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 what it always is. The left always yeah. seems like it's trying to be your fucking parent, and the right always seems like it's trying to call you a pussy. You know? Right. Well, it's it's a thing about um, just having comfort with risk, really. Yeah. You know, like some people have more of that. And also, I mean, let's be realistic about what this is. This is the government asking people to forego their financial future on some level in service of making sure that our hospital that our hospitals aren't running over capacity to the point where people are unnecessarily dying. And that is something that a lot of us can get behind in a moral way. And the thing, you know, that I wrote about that I might just put in like an introductory episode, but the idea is that like to say that this is in no way an economic consideration is just on its face wrong. Um, Like economic considerations are moral considerations. And now there will certainly come a point where there are people who are still panicked about coronavirus because the truth is we're going to have to go back to living some semblance of regular life before this thing is entirely gone. Yeah. Right? Like, this is not sustainable forever. The the government cannot just keep giving money away to businesses to try to keep them afloat or to people in the form of $1,200 checks every month or two months or whatever it is. Like, that's not sustainable and it's not realistic. So at some point, we're going to have to say this risk has been mitigated to the point that we find acceptable. Like hopefully the hydroxychloroquine and ZPAC thing, or uh, there's another one called like, it's like an REV, something, I can't remember, Reverse or something like that. But if one of those treatments starts to work and we start having really good uh, results with that and all of a sudden the mortality rate drops to 20% of what it is now, that's a substantial improvement. That, that makes 
the virus less of a threat. And it is important for people to to take account for that and then, you know, adjust the guidelines accordingly. If we discover that our hospitals now have the capacity to deal with and save lives of everyone who might need to be brought in and hospitalized or put in the ICU, if that goes up, then we're in great shape. You know, right now they're talking about somewhere between, you know, uh, 60 and 200,000 deaths resulting from this. I mean, there it's true that relatively bad flu seasons account for 60,000 deaths, you know? So we're now shutting down the entire country and, and bringing on a great depression in service of making sure that that number doesn't go any higher. And the mitigation effort already has seen that number pushed down from potentially the millions into the hundreds of thousands, which means everything we're doing right now, for the most part, is working. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Or at least is helping. And that's great because if it wasn't working, then this would be an utter fucking disaster and people would be leaving their house tomorrow and saying, fuck all this. But how far down does it need to go before these economic concerns are legitimized? Because this is a sliding scale. And there's a point on that scale where we have to say, OK, we need to try to resume some normal life with, you know, with whatever mitigation, social distance as much as possible. You know, maybe we don't open stadiums and let people sit right next to each other. Mm-hmm. Right. Got you. That's still too far on the other side of the scale. But to say that, you know, a retail store can't be open if everyone's wearing masks. OK, maybe that's maybe that's on the other side of the scale in a wrong way. Yeah. I mean, I think that <clears throat> I, I, I think I think to to, to see it having gone I mean, to see what we're what we're all trying to do actually starting to work because right now the results are coming in where you're like you can see maps of california movement and you're just like oh this is like actually a thing that is immediately working and if and i but i mean in terms of the 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 reduced number of 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 cars on the road and stuff like that yeah yeah people are actually staying home talking about physical yeah yeah yeah. i wasn't sure if you were talking about physical movement or like hotspot maps yeah physical movement is is less and that's and there have been the 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 pace at which it's been exponentially growing has slowed here, right, uh, right? Because because people are. I saw something in the Sacramento Bee about how it's actually really working, especially in urban areas, which makes sense because that's where people are yeah. most scared of it and staying home. But I think that um, the more let's see if I can get this fucking right. The the longer it goes on, mm-hmm. what will become a, more and more apparent is this is going to become a different kind of public health issue. And it's going to become yeah. a different kind of public safety issue because people are going to start, and this is going to expose the original problem, which you've talked about the cause, which I think this plays more of a role in the cause than anything else. People don't have enough money to stop no. for even um, a couple weeks. By the way, I'm one of those people, man. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a rich guy. Yeah. Like, I would like... To do all sorts of things in my life that I will not be able to do now. I yeah. mean, I just took out, um, I just took out like a bunch of money to be able to uh, make sure that I can cover whatever needs I need to cover for the for however long this extends. But I'm not paying for that stuff now. I'm yeah. paying that for that 
like future me is paying for yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. that's concerning. And I'm in a decent situation relative to the rest of the country. That's, I mean, yeah. no, no one wants anyone's grandmothers or mothers or friends or children to die. No one wants that. I cannot imagine that there is an American who wants that. The cavalier attitude is not cavalier. It's I also don't want families to lose their homes. I don't want people to lose their retirements. I don't want uh, kids to be unable to go to college. And all of those are direct results of this. And if we're not taking account of that, then we're not looking at the picture in full. It's so easy to say that what we're doing is just automatically saving people's lives. And to an extent, it definitely is. Mm -hmm. While we're doing that, there are also countless cases of people's lives who are going to be totally upended by this. Yeah. You know? I, and, I, and the problem is a lot of the people who are creating public opinion online, on Twitter, and on the news – and by the way, Donald Trump creates tons of unreal – it sucks that you have to couch everything through the yes, I don't agree with Trump either filter. But like other people are going to suffer terrible – terrible costs of this thing and to diminish that by saying that like these people shouldn't be allowed to work i think is just as offensive as as the cavalier attitude that you can just you know go out and like go to some you know i've i've heard of these uh speakeasy restaurants popping up in new york now like mm. that's cavalier mm -hmm. in in the opposite way yeah and i don't like that you know yeah. what i mean but i don't want to be cavalier about anybody's stuff and if you can't understand that there are people out there who have financial problems that the media set and that the the influencer set isn't facing, like, or generally isn't facing, like, that bothers me, man. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, there's also an optics thing, though, right? I think that it... Sure. First of all, I think the most legitimate gripe about Trump, uh, about all of this, is uh -huh. that his, his fucking dumbass eliminated the pandemic, the specific office that was there to prevent pandemics and deal with them and find them and stop them as... Mm -hmm. Get mobilized towards stopping them as quickly as you possibly could. That was something that existed and he got rid of. So we've been playing catch up to a degree. I think there's no I, way I, around that. I think there's a little bit of a couch on that. And I think it's that they had proposed cuts in the budget that were never um, – I, I don't know. There was, there's something. I don't think it's, I don't think it's like uh, open and shut, quite that open and shut. I'll have to fact check myself later. You might be totally right. I saw the, the head of – I forget the name of the department. I saw the head of that department talking – just outright saying, if this, if we still were there, okay, okay, then Fair enough. then we would have been able. Look, who knows what would have happened? It's just Dude, a matter of, of like that his, one of the things that has really pissed me off the most is that apparently the head of, um, I think it's Health and Human Services or maybe it's Homeland Security, but Alex Azar, his office had asked for two billion dollars in funding and received five hundred million on something, and now mm -hmm. that's the sort of thing where he's like actually in the administration sounding the alarm, and his request wasn't fulfilled, and that yeah. shit bothers the hell out of me. Yeah. That's something directly right there, where I don't think that there's any argument on the other side other than, well, we didn't think it was going to be that bad. And it's like, okay, well, you, you made a bad judgment then. Yeah. You know? yeah. I mean, that's I think, something that people should be held responsible for. Yeah, exactly. And I think and by that the way, that vote is, Trump out in the fall. Yeah. I'm totally with that. Yeah, but yeah. right now, online hatred of Trump is not producing good benefits for anyone. Like, it's just pushing people further and further into these corners and making us all little balls of panic and hatred. And that's just so, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, so I think the, the optics of it, because, because he was behind the eight ball, 
for, mm-hmm. let's say, bad judgment, as you put it, I would agree that to some degree, the root of what happened with this, why we're sort of behind the eight ball, and it's been sort of a scramble to, to sort of deal with what's going on or even get word out about what's going on because he was waving it mm-hmm. off. He really was saying it's going to be fine, it's going to be fine, until it fucking was not. You know Absolutely. I mean? did, you, so, did you actually watch his press conference yesterday? I didn't. No, I can't watch this shit. The last couple of days, I haven't been able to watch it. Oh, Yesterday's wait, press wait, conference. The one, yeah, ahead, I did finish, see it. The, the, one, the one about the fucking uh, with CNN where he got into the whole thing with them. Yeah, in the Rose Garden. Yes. Did you yeah, only yeah. see that part, though? Or did you no, see I, saw, I saw like the first half of it. I saw that up okay. to that, yeah. Because one of the really interesting things to me is he started talking about this hospital in Queens that he saw, um, you know, pictures of these um, freezer trucks where they were basically turning these into, you know, rolling hearses. You know, they were just piling dead bodies inside these these freezer trucks. And, you know, that was someplace in Trump's general neighborhood when he was growing up or whatever. And between that and him hearing the numbers from Fauci and Burks, it's Burks, right? Not Burks, it's Burks. Um, Yeah. He, uh, it was, I swear to God, maybe I'm just misreading him, um, but I try really hard to figure out what he's actually saying apart from his words and I think that there's a different interpretation all the time and I think that that's one of the most annoying things about media is because I believe that they're smart enough to understand what he's saying and instead they're parsing his actual language I find no end to the annoyance on that but it looked to me yesterday like Trump had just had a realization of how serious everything was like that he legitimately didn't understand it for the last few months and that now all of a sudden he does and that is disturbing to no end. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But, yeah, it just presents the whole thing in a different light. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. Like, this is really what it takes to break Trump outside, out of his own personal bubble. And he absolutely does have one. Yeah. And also, it's outrageous that that's what it fucking took. It's been clear for a long time that this was a fucking disaster. And yes. And I think, though, because, again, because we're so behind the eight ball, to not do something very extreme like he even advised just yesterday, quote-unquote lockdown through April 30th, to me, something like that, because we were so behind, is necessary now. And so, to—but yeah. to, to, also, the optics of it, if, if he were to not do that— it's like the it's like the soldiers coming back from Vietnam. Once people got to see their coffins, everybody was like, "We got to end this motherfucking war right, right now." Right, right. It's the same thing. If there's if there's iPhone videos of old people just stacked in hospitals, dead or yep. dying, dude, yep. any president immediately loses. And he's not mm-hmm. he's not dumb in that way. You could say he's dumb in whatever the right. fuck. It, no one's that dumb in that way. You can't have a hundred thousand old people dying in hospitals in a fucking month on camera where everybody online can fucking see it. It's a purely optics thing. And I think so for both sides, both in just common sense because of the reality of the fact that we're so behind and the fact that he's like, uh, I can't win if that's going to happen. He He had actual no choice. Politically, he actually had, even if it meant doing the thing he wanted to do the least, he couldn't have so many people dead on his hands. That was just not sure. an option, I think, for him. And so now he's coming out talking about if it's 100,000 deaths, it's a victory. And we got to keep it shut down on April 30th. I mean, we'll fucking see. Who knows what's going to happen over the next month. Um, 
we're running a little bit long. I want to ask you just a couple more questions and then we can wrap it up. Yeah. Um, I, I want to get your thoughts on this because this is something I'm thinking about right now. Um, how much responsibility do you think that the government has in listening to the medical experts? And I say this, um, and this is the context that I want to say it in. Medical experts, they're, you know, the Hippocratic Oath, like, you know, first do no harm, right? Their number one priority is to make sure the fewest people die. That priority is slightly different than our public officials, whose number one priority is to maintain the overall health of the society, right? In some, in some respect. Like, is there a point where... Uh, public officials have a responsibility to people to restart the economy, for instance. Yeah, well, I think that that honestly, I think that if this goes on long enough, and I don't actually don't think this. This feels like something I know. If this goes on long enough, there will be like actual like violence in the streets. There will mm-hmm. be there will be people just like squatting in homes, and there will yep. be a massive strain on the police. Massive strain on the fire department, massive strain on everything like that, where law and order becomes spotty all of a sudden. And you got to wor- like worry about the back of your head walking down the street instead of just your wallet and your cough. You there, know what I mean? There is, by the way, the, the law enforcement thing. I mean, there are cities, and I think we may be in one of them, where people simply aren't getting arrested mm-hmm. for minor crimes. I mean, we definitely can't get parking tickets right now, but yeah. law enforcement is being reduced in places. Pretty soon, Maybe it's necessary. It doesn't sound like the wisest idea to me. Well, again, with the optics thing, it's like pretty soon that's going to become something that's like on the news. There's going to be more violence. It's going to become visible. And then in a more securitous way, I think people are going to start to think, okay, we know that this is an extremely contagious disease that we were deeply unprepared for and cannot treat. However, there are people out in the world taking advantage of that Yes. Violence is on the rise. Poverty is on the rise. Homelessness is on the rise. Like that becomes, again, it becomes its own public health crisis. And that one isn't better than the current one. A public health crisis is a public health crisis and they both need to be addressed. And I think inevitably, I think we were behind the eight ball. We need to swing too hard the other way because we were behind the eight ball. And eventually we'll have to pull that back in because we'll have gone too far that way. So I think it's just going to have to be really, really wobbly for like at least a solid month and a half, you know? So, and by the way, are you saying month and a half total or still a month and a half from now? I think a month and a half. No, I think think beginning of May is when everyone's going to be like... With, I think it's when it's there's going to actually be violence and all this shit, and somehow they're going to have to find the right balance. And then at that yeah. point, I think it's really going to be about the states need to have been assessed and prepared on their own. And it's going to be like California's doing California's thing, Michigan is doing Michigan's thing, New York is doing New York's thing. Because now it's such a scramble. Everybody's so heavily relying on the federal government. The guidelines, the disease is unclear. Like there's so much mm-hmm. clarity that needs to be gotten, and it's just. We're so far behind still, but I think that once our once we catch up on the disease, once we, as everyone says, flatten the curve, and then once violence is clearly on the uptick, homelessness is on the uptick, that's going to become its own problem, and then it's going to yeah. be like, all right, we need to reopen a lot, but we also need to be safe. What does that look like? And hopefully, sure. the month of April, that's the shit that's going to get figured out. I wouldn't be surprised if it's not what gets figured out, but it is what needs to be figured out. 
Right. I'm, you know, it worries me that uh, I'm not sure that any of our public officials on either side, uh, or I shouldn't say any, there are some legitimately good ones out there, but I'm not sure any of them have the courage to, um, to take a stand on anything. I think that people want to be, uh, have their asses covered no matter what. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. I look at Bill de Blasio right now. I don't know why I just thought of him, but what? <laughs> he's have a you been paying idiot. attention to him? Yeah, he's a what? fucking idiot. He's an idiot, yeah. yeah. All right. So anyway, let's move on from that. Um, I want to ask you quickly what you think is going to happen to the movie industry as a result of all this. Well, right now, obviously, produ- all production is stopped on anything yeah. besides something totally off the radar indie. But... So that's gone for a fucking while. Development's still happening. Uh, writing is still going on. Assignment work is still out there. The the thing, the people that are most fucked, as is true of most industries, are people that work on crews, as in labor, as in anybody who's actually yep. touching anything yep. and sharing the thing that they're touching with other people. The That is the part of the industry that's going to be hit the hardest. Also, that includes directors, though. So it's like this weird... The film industry is this weird thing where... You think of the director as someone who is the head, the head honcho, so to speak, mm-hmm. but they're just as much affected as the as the lowest of the low, quote unquote, PA. I guess you could say. So, like, they're in the same boat. Writers are fine. Animators are almost unaffected. And I think what you're going to sure. see for the next maybe year, because who knows how the rollout's going to go? I mean, there's movies that were slated to come out right now that have been pushed. So once or people sent can go streaming, yeah, yeah, or they'll right. So those movies are either going to go to streaming or actually be pushed to later theater releases. So there will be that's that there will be new content for the next few months. When there will be no new content is like the end of the year because nothing was being made yeah. now. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so yeah, that's gonna, so weird to me too. Yeah, and you're going to see a lot of animated shit at the end of the year because that's what's still being made now. Do you think that there's a chance that the theater experience? will come back I think there's a chance that theater experience will just be dead forever and yeah, I think yeah. niche niche in the way that a repertory theater is that like the new Beverly is or the Alamo where like it's specialized whether it's like yeah. a big Marvel thing that you want to see in a big cushy chair and you want to fucking be in a hot tub or whatever the fuck it is or there's like the old school old movie screening where you go and see some old shit and it's like kitschy and you get your small popcorn and the popcorn maker and all that like I think that it's just going to become atomized specialized just like everything else and I don't think I think the people that are most fucked are major theater chain owners Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I think major film studios. I think those are the yeah. two that are most fucked. Uh, yeah, man. I mean, uh, you know, it's, in terms of the theaters, at least this was is, has kind of been happening for a while, and maybe yeah. this is the nail in the coffin. I mean, I hope it's not. But me too. Yeah. Um, cool. So, man, I just figured we would wrap up by like yeah. just talking about like how you're spending your um, quarantine. Well, it's been weird. I think you're the writing? thing I think. Of- the thing I think the thing that's been yeah I've been working it's been hard to focus and I found that to be true of yeah. a lot of people doing what I do in in any uh, space in my industry uh, but I but I will say that for me personally being a writer and someone who works from home generally uh, it's been weird the thing that's been weirdest because when it was coming up I was like oh at least I work from home I'm used to it you know what I mean I, sure. I have a routine. But the weirdness has been when I finish, I usually know how to demarcate that by leaving. 
So like, <laughs> so now it's like I'm both always at the office and always home, and I have no sense yes. of the new normal hasn't come of like what punching in and punching out looks like. So I feel like I'm working at 10 p.m. and 10 a.m. and every other hour, but I also feel like I could take a nap any fucking time. It's this weird like. Do you, have the, do you have the guilt reaction when you're not working and you feel like you should be working because you're in your head that like you have to be working? Not anymore. Because I've, I've had that a lot. I, I used to have that, I think, but now I actually have the opposite of like, am I ever relaxing now? Like, I need to also relax. Too. And so like, it's not that I don't procrastinate. I, I do, and I always will. It's one of uh, my core qualities. But in that procrastination I'm still my mind is still on work I'm still pacing I'm still taking notes I'm still even if I'm just watching something for reference there's something going on but I think now it's like I need to also yes I'm scatterbrained my focus is all over the place but my head is still in work even if it's not in work it's in the fucking news everything is so high tension stressful it's like oh yeah I need to like actually just fucking chill the fuck out for a second you know yeah dude the 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 thing for me whenever i find myself spinning out into that is that uh i'm like man i am just overwhelming my brain with information right now mm-hmm. and i can't focus on any particular topic so yeah that's like that's always my challenge is being like okay i need to stop looking at twitter yeah i need to stop watching the news whatever it is like just cut this off spend a day without it and then try to like get back to to, to me brain you yeah know? it's just hard when there's a fucking pandemic literally outside yeah. your door you yeah. just want to I, I, for me i just want to see what's the new thing you know what i mean it's not like i want to check the fucking news because i'm interested in what trump said about trans sure. people being in the military yeah. i want to see what i the just want to see the headline that like yeah, yeah. i want to see the headline yeah. like oh hydroxychloroquine yeah. works right like, yeah. that's what i want um all right man so just tell me to to wrap this up just tell me one to ten how scared are you right now it's hard to say because I I don't feel any panic at all. I'm not scared for myself. I'm not scared for anybody in my immediate surrounding. But I'm scared uh, broadly about people and and on the off chance that someone I care about gets it and gets very sick. That's very scary yeah. to me. But I would say in the in the more global sense, I'm scared a, a, about all of the things that I. That, I, that we can't yet foresee about what's going to happen. Because mm-hmm. we talk in these vagaries about industry yeah. will be affected, people will be fucking homeless, and people will lose a lot of money, and this and that, everything's going to change, we just don't know how. It's it's going to be hard, and, and I think it's scary to think about what it's going to be like when you start to put a face and a specific story to all, yeah. these, all the fallout, yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, there are... So many potential looming dystopias out yeah. there, and I don't want any of them. I know. But, uh, you know, something that's this disruptive, there's almost no way to avoid them all. Yeah. So, all right, man. Well, thank you so much for doing this with me. Episode number one is now coming to an end. Uh, guys, catch Matt um, on Matt D'Elia is Confused. You can find it on all the major podcast platforms. You can follow him at Matt D'Elia on Twitter and Instagram, yeah? Yep. And uh, is American Animal Yeah, actually, you know what? If you want to, the best place to, I've recently discovered that the best place to rent American Animal is on YouTube because they, it's unedited. It's the actual NC-17 version. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. So Matt made a really cool movie called American Animal. He wrote it, he directed it, and he stars in it. And it went to multiple film festivals. Um, Very indie, very contained. I love it. Great performance. 
I don't know. I, there's not enough good things I can you say about it. You got to see it. I get, I get naked in it too. So that's for He a does. Gift, a I was actually thinking about this morning. Yeah. Thinking about that this morning. Like the, because uh, I think about it every morning. Me naked, the, yeah. um, the, the pan up across uh, the length of your cock. Yeah. That's, that's in me. So it's a And then I was thinking about how someone actually had to edit those, I know. those scenes. And that person was me, which is actually even worse oh. than someone else. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess it's better for that other person. Julian and I cut it together, so I guess Julian had to also (laughs) deal with that, yeah. He probably saw your cock enough in college. Yeah, we saw it enough times by now for fucking sure, more than anybody else probably. Maybe I should cut this whole section out. Probably About my penis? Yeah, Yeah, no, leave it. All right, I'm going to leave it. All All right, right. Uh, I will talk to you soon, Matt. All right, man, thanks. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Yes, sir, goodbye. If you like the show, please share it with your friends and give it a five-star rating on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts so new listeners can take your word for it. You can follow the show on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at I'm Your Moderator. If you have feedback, you can email heymoderator at I'mYourModerator.com or use the hashtag HeyModerator on Twitter. If you'd like to support the show, search Be Reasonable on Patreon, where I'll have additional daily ish segments in a special podcast feed of the show, as well as my writing and audio readings of those articles. You can also go to anchor.fm slash be reasonable and become a supporter there. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Be reasonable. moderator for tonight's broadcast. 
If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. The merch site is CancelCouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!